0: The rich people always flying off
1: somewhere <laughs> okay. hey everyone welcome to the vegan vanguard it's mexi and today we have two fantastic radical pro-intersectional vegan activists on the show Menica and isan i actually know them both personally so hey to you both welcome to the show thank you for having us
2: thank you for having me it's a pleasure
1: yeah, we're very stoked to have this conversation. Uh, if you're a listener to the show, you've already heard of Menica because we've shouted her out several times. She is the creator of our amazing uh, stickers that we have available for patrons. Uh, One of them says animals are our comrades, and one of them says animals want capitalism to end, and they are just awesome designs, and people are loving them. So yeah, you probably are aware of Menika. And Menika has worked with Eson in uh, Calgary. It's cool that I shut that out, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For sure.
3: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm actually from Calgary, but I'm just living in Ottawa right now.
1: But we're both from Calgary. yeah. And then I met you both, well, I knew Manica a bit before, but then I um, met you both out there for VegFest Calgary, <laughs> which I think we'll get into a little yes. bit as well. Um, so, all right, before we dive into our topic for today, which is taking a look at the challenges that we face as, you know, anti-capitalist, anti-oppressive activists in mainstream vegan spaces, which tend to be mostly capitalist and... uh mostly, you know, many of them are quite actually oppressive. (laughs) Um, So before we dive into that, I'm going to shout out the patrons. So thank you to Isaiah Jones, Rachel Rowan Eldwin, and Jacob Gimble. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a monthly patron donor at patreon.com slash or give us a one time donation via PayPal on our website veganvanguardpodcast.com. Or give us a rating and review on iTunes, uh, or whatever other podcast app you listen to us on that really, really helps us increase our reach. And I love reading the reviews that you give. They're so amazing. We, we both read them and, uh, yeah, or just, just share the episodes with friends and family that also helps increase our reach. So, diving into the topic, which is a big one, um, but uh, I guess before we get into everything, maybe if you could both introduce yourselves, um, tell us a bit about either your, your vegan journey or your vegan activism journey, how your veganism is political, um, and basically just how you tie animal liberation into your, your broader politics.
2: So, um, hi, my name is Asana Tufi. I've been an intersectional vegan activist for about five years now, I'd say. Uh, Same time I've been vegan. Uh, What piqued my interest in animal rights activism, it started with uh, kind of the Calgary Stampede and my stance against the rodeo. Mm -hmm. Um, In the past few years, I've participated in many street protests, like candlelight vigils, marches, But I would say the most successful project I've worked on is probably VetchFest Calgary. We were able to reach a very large local audience and promote an anti-oppressive and anti-capitalist and total liberation perspective. To me, oppression is like, uh, I guess if I wanted to create an an analogy for it, is like a web of injustice that's woven by capitalism and white supremacy. And in order to break free from this kind of mess, we can't just rip one of its anchor points. We have to destroy the entire web. And I guess the animal liberation kind of symbolizes one of these anchor points. And I'd say from an early age, I've always been against like prisons, cages, you know, just, and I've been pro-freedom. So I believe that everyone, including non-human animals, should have the right of bodily autonomy and to be able to pursue life with freedom of choice.
1: Mm Mm-hmm yeah
2: absolutely
3: yeah that was really yeah i uh, I agree with everything that was said. i yeah, my introduction's a little bit shorter than that <laughs> um i'm so I'm an artist and teacher uh, from Calgary. I'm currently living in Ottawa. um so my journey, I went vegetarian first when I was eight years old. Um, and that was just from reading. It was a few things that happened at once. Um, I read the book Charlotte's Web. And then around the same time, the movie Babe came out with the pig. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it was interesting because I like my family was eating meat and like I it didn't even cross my mind about. That not eating meat was an option. Um, but my friend in elementary school, um, after the movie Babe came out, she said she was not going to eat pigs anymore. And then, and then I was like, well, I don't want to eat pigs either. Um, so then it, that's how it started, and then, obviously, I stopped wanting to eat like cows and chickens as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and animals, but I was still eating like dairy and eggs at that time. Um, and I'd sort of heard of vegans, but living in Calgary, I just didn't really see how it was possible um, I thought it was like extreme um I didn't know any vegans. I didn't really have a lot of exposure um to veganism um until I just started like I gradually started reading a little bit more about how other non-human animals, um, are still treated and, um, that there's still a lot of cruelty in the dairy and eggs. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was kind of when I started, it was just through like reading more and having more exposure. And actually I'm a little embarrassed by this, but my first introduction to veganism was actually through PETA.
1: Um, Mm -hmm well mine was freely the banana girl so
0: yeah oh my
1: god (laughs) so but that's pretty interesting
3: because like obviously we're pretty critical of those like mainstream organizations and Mm -hmm. and people now but um yeah we shouldn't like shame people's introduction to veganism i guess but Mm. um yeah that is how i sort of got into it and then i started reading and and becoming more interested in grad school, I started reading a little bit more radical literature and just connecting the dots between animal issues and other justice issues. And then I went from, so I went from vegetarian to vegan, and I was a single issue vegan for a while. And then I quickly recognized the connections between animal issues and other justice issues. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was kind of my journey and yeah just like us on um in calgary i was involved in a lot of like street protests and uh, leafleting events and especially things relating to the calgary stampede um because as you probably know alberta's main industries are like oil gas and um and cattle cattle. (laughs) so and the calgary stampede is like a pretty big deal there um it's actually interesting I think this is the first year in its history that it's been canceled Mm -hmm. um due to COVID so um yeah
1: I was pretty pleased to see that
3: I was too it's gonna be really interesting to see how um it's marketed going forward like Mm -hmm. you can just kind of tell it's gonna be this big like we can withstand anything and
2: I don't know. Mm. Can I just add something here? I, I I'm still wondering, like though, if animals were still harmed, you know, up to the point of Calgary Stampede, like you know, training them mm. and preparing them for for events, because a lot of people are coming out and saying that, you know, the Stampede, like to, this year is going to be cruelty free because there is no Stampede. But was there like 100% cruelty free? No.
3: No. Obviously, the animals yeah. are still like <laughs> they're still <laughs> mm-hmm. they're still doing like everything. That they would have done. Normally, it's just like a few days out of the year that where they like openly invite people to view all of the animal right. abuse. Yeah, definitely. That's
2: what I think too.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you both for for sharing those stories. And yeah, um, I'm kind of similar. I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before, but. I, well, I wasn't, I wasn't as, uh, was, wasn't was as on the ball as you were, Venica. when I was eight years old. I was, uh, yeah, not as, not as woke. I, I loved animals, but I didn't, didn't make those connections until I was about, like, 18. Um, and went vegetarian first. And it, it took me a long time to actually go vegan um, after that because I kind of thought like, oh, well, I'm I'm doing enough because I had originally gone uh, vegetarian for environmental re- reasons and I didn't know what was going on in the dairy and egg industry, obviously. So it took me a while to kind of make that transition. And it is funny that, you know, these kind of mainstream organizations are what did bring a lot of us in. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess yeah. it could be said that there is value for bringing people in but i mean i think people like us um we were already kind of predisposed to more like progressive beliefs and to and more exposed to like radical literature that could shape our politics and and bring anti-speciesist activism in line with our our broader you know anti-oppressive activism whereas i think a lot of people get in the door through the mainstream movement and just kind of stay there <laughs> right yeah um, yeah yeah So we've talked about this before, um, obviously on this show, but um, maybe for people who are new or who, uh, you know, don't know too much about this, maybe we could just briefly touch on some points about why veganism that focuses only on consumption or only on non-human animals is not only incomplete, but could actually be harmful to animals and other people. And you go first. (laughs)
2: Sounds good. So I think uh, like to me, uh, consumer veganism or single issue veganism both ignore the fact that despite like the increased demand for plant based products, human and non-human animals are still exploited Mm -hmm. for the creation of the products. And whether it be like bees that are exploited to pollinate, you know, plants and almond trees and things like that, or if it's Indian farmers who are exploited in farming of cashew nuts, I think vegan consumerism is just not uh, doesn't have the capacity of critiquing capitalism at its root causes.
3: Yeah, I my answer is like pretty similar. Um I guess the two assumptions that like mainstream veganism or like consumption-based veganism has are that first of all that veganism is the solution to speciesism and then also kind of like what Asan said which is that justice is compatible with unmitigated growth. Mm -hmm. So, like, a simple way that we can understand it is, like, even if everyone switched to vegan products instead of animal products, we would still have speciesism because, like, the subjugation of non-human animals, first of all, it's it's really woven into our vocabulary and our discourse. Like even vegans I know will often refer to non-human animals as it instead of Mm -hmm. their name or their pronouns. Like obviously it's a lot easier to harm something when we call it it instead of she or him or they or whatever, or their name. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it would be difficult to unlearn all of that just by shifting consumer choices Um, but then also the other issue is that the, like this relentless growth of vegan companies. So even if we had all vegan companies producing things under capitalism, um, eventually we would have to infringe on the habitats of wild or free living, non-human animals. Mm -hmm. So we would still be perpetuating speciesism that way as well. Um, and then the third thing I just wanted to say as well is there seems to be an assumption with, um, vegans that, um, like sexism, racism, homophobia, ableism, all of these human oppressions would just disappear if we all went vegan because like speciesism is the root of all evil. Um, but that's clearly not how things work because if we looked at only vegan spaces, we would then expect there to be no, like, sexism or racism or anything like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, like, clearly that (laughs) isn't the case. No. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just think it's a little um, incomplete as well to make the claim that veganism will end all oppression anyway. Mm -hmm. And so if we all just went vegan, then we would have no other problems to worry about. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was really well said by, by both of you. Um, I really, I'm glad that you brought up this idea of calling, you know, different beings an it instead of, uh, their pronouns or their name or whatever. Um, uh, people know that I, I really, I enjoyed the book, um, Braiding Sweetgrass. Yes,
3: (laughs) me too. I, that was the best, that was such a good book recommendation. Um, Mm -hmm. I know because we talked about this before, but I also teach a class called um, Environmental Philosophies in Education. And I asked you about books that you thought would work well for that class. And I actually assigned two chapters from that book. And my students loved it as well um, because it's just
1: so... It's really well written. So I
3: definitely support your continual recommendation of it. Oh,
1: awesome. Yeah. Honestly, everyone that I've recommended it to and has read it has absolutely loved it. So yeah. And then in that book, she talks about this idea of when we reduce non-human nature, like the complexity of non-human nature to an it, um, we, you know, we completely change our relationship to quote unquote it, right? Like if, if a tree is, um you, you know, a, a, a she or a person or whatever, then you think twice about just chopping it down, right? You, you have a relationship there. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, we would never cut a tree or, you know, take any take anything from right. non-human nature, but that um, that there would be if there's a relationship, then there's more of an idea of reciprocity and things like that. And not just dehumanization right yeah and i think that you know afco and silco really talk about this idea of you know dehumanization and animalization a lot and how that kind of othering um that is you know pinnacle of white supremacy and whiteness which led to capitalism right like that is that is really the root and you know what's underneath a lot of our oppressive systems and, um, taking away the personhood of different marginalized groups of people is, is obviously what we see happening in so many other oppressive systems. So it's really clear. I mean, when you get down to it, how these things are linked and, you know, you have people like prison labor, you know, handling meat products and things like that and pre- yes. you know, preparing luxury, uh, cheeses and things for whole foods <laughs> and whatever. Right. So, yeah. A lot of these oppressions or systems of oppression are linked, um, and yeah, as you said, to to think that if we all just buy the right products, then we're going to be able to liberate animals like that's absolutely ridiculous. First of all, it's not working. <laughs> you know, we're we're killing yeah. killing more animals today than we ever have been. Um, companies are just finding new markets for them, or you know, new new ways to exploit. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's not it's not a sustainable outlook. It's not a realistic outlook. And, you know, really anti-speciesist activism has to be thought of as as part of this broader whole, um, part of this broader broader project of total liberation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with everything there. And just to expand on what you said as well, um, there is this misunderstanding of anti-speciesism work and anti-speciesist activism, activism Mm -hmm. (laughs) as, uh, just being vegan and doing like vegan activism Mm -hmm. and I don't view those things as necessarily being exactly the same like I don't think that veganism is interchangeable with anti-speciesism simply because I view anti-speciesism as like a like I view speciesism as like a structural systemic intergenerational force that is held up by colonization and white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism Mm -hmm. and all of these things and and how they're like politically connected and how they're connected to one another like how speciesism is connected to sexism and racism and ableism and all of these as well Um, so like, I, I think that just assuming that veganism, that just because we're vegan, we're also anti-speciesist is a little incomplete as well, because if we don't fully understand how anti-speciesist work is just as entangled in anti-racist work and anti-sexist work and all of these other oppressions, then we're not really getting to the roots of like all of these problems that hurt Mm -hmm. all of us.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely and then we're not effective right so we think that we're saving all these anim- animals yeah. meanwhile the number of animals that are being you know held in cages and you know killed every year is increasing um and yes mm-hmm. the population is increasing so that has something to do with it but um the amount of of meat that people are eating is also increasing yeah yeah i mean it, it it's increasing disproportionately to population.
3: Yeah.
2: And I just wanted to add, uh, like, let's not forget how much of this meat and animal products that gets created just gets thrown in the trash and not used because of mm-hmm. capitalism. So, I mean, yeah, like, how is that fitting into all of this as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a system of, of waste <laughs> and, uh, and impose scarcity right i mean even you know during this covid right i i've been reading horrible like just horrific articles about like animals needing to be slaughtered just purely because it's more cost effective to slaughter them than to keep them alive even though no one's going to be eating that 100 percent their bodies Yeah. yeah
3: This situation with COVID is a really good opportunity to talk about, um, like, it really illuminates the problems of capitalism and especially meat consumption under capitalism. Mm-hmm. And I f- like a lot of vegan organizations I've noticed are they have this really simplistic understanding of COVID. They're just like, well, it's a zootonic virus. And if we just stopped eating animals, we wouldn't have problems like this. Mm-hmm. But It just, um, sort of lacks nuance and a wider perspective of how, like, yeah, that's part of it, but, like, also think about, like, all of the other issues that are emphasized because of, like, COVID under capitalism Mm -hmm. with animals and also, like, the slaughterhouse workers who are forced to go back to work, um, like, even if they're sick and who aren't being tested and mm-hmm. all of these other issues, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's another great connection um, between, you know, multiple intersecting oppressions is people who work in slaughterhouse in slaughterhouses are often, you know, um, migrant workers with no protections. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. they they have to go into work, even though places like that have just been hotbeds of spreading covid and yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely criminal that people are being forced back into those those situations. And it's terrible, terrible, grueling and uh, traumatizing work to be doing. So... Yeah, anyway, I think that's a pretty good overview. As I said, we've (laughs) talked about it a bit before. So um, I also have a video um, called why I'm not why I'm no longer vegan TM that kind of goes over more. But unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, the vast majority of our mainstream vegan organizations, um, and even like big, big uh, vegan events are, you know, fairly capitalist, they presume to be or they claim to be apolitical. So I guess uh, I'm wondering what you think of different mainstream organizations and perhaps why an approach that claims to be apolitical um, is not really helpful. Um, I'm thinking of maybe um, Anonymous anonymous for the Voiceless or Million Dollar Vegan or PETA, etc. Just wondering your thoughts on that.
3: Okay, so this is what I think is sort of interesting about all of these organizations is to kind of think of them as like we have Anonymous for the Voiceless, DXE or Direct Action Everywhere, Million Dollar Vegan, PETA, MFA, Mercy for Animals. Um, All of these organizations sort of have a lot in common um, but then like some of them have little differences where it makes it a little harder to think of them as trash (laughs) so (laughs) uh, I don't know how else to say it okay so for example um AV is like probably I feel like that's a good starting point because it's the easiest one um to critique using like a pro intersectional or like a a plural justice framework but um starting from the very beginning, like the idea is not even original. So the idea was ripped off of like Earthlings experience, which I think originated in London, England. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, so the idea is not even original. But on top of that, the leadership has remained pretty white or white passing. Um, So at the top of the movement, there's Paul Bashir and George Martin, um, who have been known to openly dismiss pro-intersectional approaches to veganism mm-hmm. um, and have gone on to state that like, for instance, men's rights activists should be marching alongside feminists. (sighs) And (laughs) that it doesn't really matter as long as we are all doing it for the animals. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of their perception of an inclusive movement is just everyone putting aside their differences as long as we're working together for the animals. So I can kind of see, like how new vegans and like especially young vegans who are just getting started or just being exposed to some of these ideas could view that message as making sense Mm -hmm. um like no I don't agree with it at all but I can see how someone who's young and maybe hasn't had a lot of exposure to other ideas might view that as being inclusive and also as being effective but The problem is that when you are accepting people and promoting, like, the acceptance of people from all sides of the political spectrum, then you're saying that racism, sexism, homophobia, and things like that um, should be ignored.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, And that's when it starts to become harmful to people who are already marginalized. And when those people don't feel welcome they're probably just going to leave because they don't have any power within the movement. Like, all of the leaders are white, mm-hmm. so they're and they're, like, able-bodied and, like, cis and all of these things. So, like, no one's going to stand up to them. If they do stand up, they're just dismissed as being, like, well, you should just put aside everything and just forget about it because it's for the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like... Everyone who is marginalized is just going to leave because they're going to feel unwelcome in the movement. And so then you're basically just left with, like, white supremacists or, like, I don't know, you're you're left with people who are, like, quote-unquote neutral, but they're not neutral. They're,
0: mm-hmm.
3: they're supporting a side. They just don't realize it. So if your goal is to get the world to go vegan and if your goal is to like expand the population of vegans you're just gonna have a really hard time if like people of color and other marginalized people are not like don't see themselves as being represented and as being welcome and um that the movement is a safe place for them
0: yeah
1: um Even, like, you know, even on the left, like, white leftists, you'll also have a hard time even talking to them because the mainstream movement is just portrayed as, you know, white women, (laughs) white bohemian women who are having these smoothie bowls. Like, (laughs) people are just going to say, well, oh, that's that's irrelevant. That's a bourgeois, you know, white girl thing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That is
3: true. That is actually really interesting how – Like, the Karens have really, like, come out in terms of, like... (laughs) Sorry. Oh, wait, is that a slur? No. Um, (laughs) That's not. (laughs) Some people seem to think that it is. No.
0: Um,
3: No, yeah, like, I I definitely think it's problematic that... um, But, like, that's also the type... Like, that feeds right into, like... If you go on YouTube and you, what you think of when you think of like a vegan YouTuber is like some like blonde, thin, cis, white woman who like lives on an island yep. and eats a lot of fruit yep, and has like oversaturated pictures of like smoothie bowls and things yeah. like that. But like, yeah. And so it's like a problem that like that is the type of veganism that is being promoted and upheld and, um, like it's shared everywhere. It's like circulated. So those are like the messages that are about and ideas about and I- images about veganism that are shared and distributed amongst everyone. And so then people who don't look like that or don't identify with that way of life, um, mm-hmm tend to like it could be a turnoff exactly
2: i kind of it's hard to imagine like seeing white supremacists and like black civil rights activists marching alongside each other without you know there being any conflict or (laughs) or you know women's rights activists marching along uh men's rights activists and you know they're both aggressively against each other so how would that even work like in theory it just doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me
3: (laughs) yeah well i think the theory is like all of them should just like ignore their oppression
2: but i mean one side is not oppressed (laughs)
3: exactly well yeah i agree with that but like that's their rationale though is like put aside any of your own personal feelings because your suffering will never be as bad as a non-human animal in the animal agriculture industry. Mm -hmm. Like that's the rationale. Mm -hmm. So like it's, you're not suffering as badly. So just put it aside so that you can like fight for animals
1: ironically i think it's like marginalized people would actually do better at like putting it aside in that situation and just being like well i'll be civil whereas the you know men's rights activists or white supremacists like they're not going to be civil walking next to people that like they fucking hate definitely not you know and that they want to die like they're not (laughs) going to be doing i know i know know. that's (laughs) actually so true like yeah that's but yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree that I can see how someone just kind of coming into the movement, not really um, knowing too much about like how these things intersect, um, thinking that that does make sense, right? Like when I was first went vegan. Um, You know, when you first go vegan and you're you're just so appalled at what's happening with the animals that you're just so, like, frothing at the mouth to go out there and yell at everybody (laughs) and just, like, make them stop? Um, You know, at that point, I could see myself being like – well, actually, no, because at at that point, I was, you know, more political. But, uh, you know, I was really into those memes that would go around being like, I saved 400 animals and this much land space and this much water in the past year because I went vegan. Um, And so, yeah, this all revolves around this claim that like, you know, if if we're just if we just put aside our differences, we can save the animals, but like we're not saving the animals, right? Like we're saving. we're, We're making it so that. I mean and it, it, the point is like okay we're we talked about this in our um in one of our episodes about antinatalism like it's not even about saving animals, it's about potentially making there be less animals bred into existence to be killed in the future, but like every animal that is bred into existence in the system is still going to be killed, right right, so it's not like there's animals that are born and like we're saving them with our vegan activism if they're within the system and they're born they will be killed and their bodies will be used somehow. So like yeah, the point of consumer-based veganism is just to reduce demand so that potentially less animals will be bred into the system. But 100% of the animals bred into the system will still be killed, right? right. Like we're not making we're not making a dent um, in that and overall globally it's going up and up and up despite this. So we really obviously obviously we're not getting at the root of the problem here. Which, as you said, is, like, deeply tied with um, white supremacy, capitalism, etc. Like, those are the roots of the problem and the roots of what causes us as humans to other, both other people and non-human animals and try to, like, claim superiority um, in the system of, you know, dominance and uh, destroying and exploiting people and animals in order to create profit and endless growth, right? Right. So... Yeah.
2: And and if we kind of backtrack into the different organizations that do push for single issue animal liberation, like, for example, PETA. So there's there's so many offensive things that they have done in the past. Like one of the ones that really come to mind is uh, PETA's poster, grab a pussy, adopt a cat from your local shelter. And that like that is problematic in so many ways because they also have kill shelters where they kill cats and dogs. So it doesn't even to me, that doesn't even make sense for their own cause you know what i mean
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and then you're like oh this is funny like what what the president said was funny (laughs) yeah yeah
3: and and it's interesting too because like so av claims to be apolitical but then like there's organizations like PETA that are political and same with million dollar vegan um They are political, but just on the wrong, like, in the wrong way. Um, Like, with PETA's whole thing about, like, grab a pussy is, like, a reference to Trump's um, famous words about bragging about being sexist. And then, like, they have also made billboards um, where they've compared uh, the separation of migrant children from their families at the U.S. border to the separation of baby calves from their mothers in the dairy industry um, with no real analysis of like how, first of all, that affects humans that are being marginalized. And then like, obviously no, like they're not doing any activism or work around that area. They're just appropriating the struggle to draw attention to animal issues. Mm-hmm. So they are, polit- they're not apolitical. They're like very much yeah. utilizing right-wing ideas in order to promote veganism which seems super weird to me Mm -hmm. but like um million dollar vegan is doing just on the topic of trump um the same thing so they had a campaign in the past um trying to bribe the pope into going vegan um Mm -hmm. and then there's another campaign that they have called make america healthy again where they're trying to make a deal with um president trump uh where they're trying to bribe him into going vegan so that they can make a donation of a million dollars to um like a veterans charity and it's just the whole campaign is incredibly gross and it's just like so frustrating on many different levels um Like, on one hand, it assumes that compassion is, like, transactional and conditional, because, Mm -hmm. like, if you have a million dollars to donate, like, I just feel like they're using excuses to not donate the money, because there's no way the Pope is gonna go (laughs) vegan, right? Like, and there's no way Trump is gonna go vegan, like, he's, Mm -hmm. like, he's obsessed with fast food, and he, like, his sons are trophy hunters, so, like, it just doesn't make sense, so, yeah, like you're picking people who aren't going to go vegan anyway, and then like dangling this idea of a million dollars to like, and then with veterans, like, why would, I don't know, it just seems terrible to like say, we will, we will donate this to veterans if you go vegan, but then if you don't, then we'll do nothing. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And it also assumes that like, Oh, if Trump goes vegan or if celebrities go vegan, then everyone will go vegan because they'll just follow the trend. But it's like, you're just asking, you're asking for veganism to just be this trend then that like, oh, this is cool right now because trump yeah. and whoever the pope i mean i don't know who would see the pope going vegan and be like i i need to go i mean i guess some people <laughs> would. <but> like, <laughs> oh wow i need to go vegan too or you know
3: yeah also the way this campaign is framed as make america healthy again is oh sort of the distortion of like veganism as being about health which it's fundamentally and at its core veganism is about and non-human animal liberation and not about right the health of humans like right like non-human animals don't care if you're eating like vegan ice cream sandwiches all day or if you're eating like salads all day like they don't it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to, from like from an animal liberation standpoint um right. so like i feel like the health argument of veganism is like I don't know. It doesn't address animal testing. It doesn't address wearing leather. Like it just ignores speciesism. So yeah, absolutely. Framing it in that way is not helpful.
1: Yeah. And also it's like this whole million dollar thing. It's just like, where are you getting these millions of dollars? Like that could be put to good use instead of trying to bribe celebrities and and things to, to go vegan. Um, Yeah. That just seems like such a strange approach. And if they had more of like a pro intersectional view, you know, Like, Trump would never go vegan first. Sure, he's addicted to fast food or whatever, but it would completely go against his, like, strong man, you know, kind of uh, business. Like, I don't care. You know, like, he's not, that's not a persona. Like, you have to understand that, like, you know, meat eating is so hyper tied up with uh you know toxic masculinity and um you know people who are just like we we want freedom right it's like a very like uh, right wing yeah. idea that like we should be free to basically just destroy the earth um eat animals if we want to like there's so many right wing people i've seen like ridiculous videos about like of right wing people getting so upset about this idea of like maybe having a meat tax or maybe whatever and it's like oh like whatever the communists are and, like they're <laughs> kind of femi- they're trying to <laughs> Feminize us, they're trying to like turn us into soy boys, right like th- like this is all so tightly w- bound up together, and they're just like, we should we gotta eat he- eat hot dogs and like maintain our freedom and like be manly, you know, like all of this stuff is bound up and it and when you think about it that way, it's so obvious that like oppression of animals isn't just this you know aberrant thing that's just coming out of nowhere, and if we can just tell people about the health benefits then like we'll be able to fix it like no people oppress animals because it's part of their broader you know identity as like a white right white patriarch you know
0: yeah
3: absolutely and
1: then yeah totally agree with everything you just
3: said and then the other the final point that i wanted to add with campaigns like that is that like trump is pretty well known for being like racist and sexist so Mm -hmm. You're essentially saying that you want someone to go vegan, but you're okay
1: with their racism and misogyny and everything yeah. else. Yeah. At that point, you're basically saying, I'm okay with children being separated from their mothers at the at the border wall, but yeah. as long as the cow babies aren't separated from their mothers, like, what in the fuck?
3: Yeah. And like, sorry, you just reminded me as well with the Million Dollar Vegan campaign as well. Um, They're... Recruiting children to oh yeah, be for sure, the spokespeople for the campaign, um and like I like all of those children are very well spoken um compassionate activists, and I don't mm-hmm. blame them at all, but I do think it's there's something particularly disturbing about recruiting children for a particular message.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know, I just feel like these vegan kids have not fully had an opportunity to like really carve out their identity and their activism necessarily. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It's just, there's something about using kids that just seems Mm kind of sleazy, I guess. And
2: also sometimes there are children of color as well, which kind of perpetuates a whole lot of other issues.
3: Yeah. Like I feel like, I I don't know I feel like if I had a child because I'm a person of color and like my child was vegan and someone was like would you like to be in this campaign encouraging the president to go vegan I just feel like that it's like I would also want the president to not be racist Mm -hmm. and like I also like I wouldn't want a president who is just vegan yeah Um, but who is actively creating policies to oppress people that look like me, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yeah, yeah no absolutely like it's it's pretty gross it's like really gross when you think about it actually you know mm-hmm. and this is the other kind of um the the other kind of way that the vegan movement gets painted right like it's either um like the white bourgeois woman doing yoga on the beach with some fruit or it's the really really angry hyper uh radical white dude who's like out there i don't know breaking into to places and taking the animals and liberating them and whatever um but like simultaneously not giving a shit about any other yeah uh oppression right like so like people will use that as a reason why like well veganism isn't relevant or veganism is kind of um just kind of off in its own world because it's people who only care about animals and they don't care about people right like people use that as a reason to not go vegan
2: i think the prime example is uh, probably gary yourofsky on that one (laughs)
3: yeah well can i just say like gary yourofsky is one example but they're all doing they're all these like traveling heroes going on like these paid vacations they have gofundmes where people are paying them to go into like cities going into universities going into places where they have no um, community ties and Mm -hmm. completely undermining the grassroots efforts of people who could do the exact same thing in those communities yeah and then giving them a representation of veganism that is not complete or accurate because not everyone is vegan because they relate to a well-spoken white male Mm -hmm. yeah like, it just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And, like, yeah, I just have a huge problem with, like, this, like, saviorism as well. Uh-huh. I think it's, like, pretty, cl- like, it's pretty tied in because you have, like, individuals. There's, like, Joey Carbstrong, Earthling Ed, Gary uh-huh.
0: Um,
3: Who else am I missing? Anyways, there's, like, a few of them who have, like, like, maybe not Gary Orofsky as much anymore, but... They have, like, GoFundMes, and they're essentially being paid
0: mm-hmm.
3: to do activism, but really it's a vacation for them,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and, like, they're they're not even doing work that's, like, unique or, like, focused on anti-speciesism. Like, it's focused on veganism, but it's not, like, anti-speciesist, or mm-hmm. it's, like, incomplete in that it doesn't discuss anything else. So, yeah, it's, like, the individuals, the organizations, and then, like, festivals and, like, Things,
1: like events. Yeah. And just a note on the the saviorism thing, like a lot I, I mean, I don't know about these people that you've named in particular, but you know, a lot of the, you know, white male heads of these big mainstream organizations are all being called out for horrible sexual offenses yes. uh, against um, you know, other activists. That work with them and there's all these gross power yeah. dynamics going on and it's just like yeah th- like is this good for the animals no <laughs> this, is, this is not good for the animals It's not good for fucking anybody you know yeah the
3: yeah. the amount of sexism is like it's ridiculous like mm-hmm. it, even, it even it started years ago and like it's still going on as recently as like a few weeks ago um with Alex yeah Yep. and Roxanne Steiner. Mm-hmm. Is it Steiner? I, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, anyway, so she came forward. There's actually quite a few people who came forward about um, feelings of being uncomfortable around Alex Bez, and she was one of them who posted her experience of being um, sexually harassed by him, mm-hmm. and it just turned up into this huge thing
1: where, like
3: yeah, she had some support, but it was, like, a pretty surprising amount of people who took his side.
1: Uh-huh. I-, I wasn't surprising to me, frankly.
3: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I guess, yeah. It's, like, it's just, it's... like, all
1: the dudes in the movement <laughs> yeah. took his side.
3: Yeah, took his side, yeah, yeah but, like, someone started a me for him, yeah. for, like, his, his, for his legal fees, and, like, mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense, like even in his video, like his own video that he put out regarding um the situation he admitted to ignoring her body language,
1: mm-hmm. and I don't know it's just yeah, 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 so not good all around <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> so I guess let's move into maybe your experiences with organizing um kind of on the ground organizing so i know you both uh did a lot of good work with Vegfest calgary but then um for various reasons uh you know ended up leaving that organization so um yeah just wondering if you want to share some of your own personal experiences and challenges of organizing within you know more neutral vegan spaces
2: uh, i'll start with that if that's okay um so kind yeah. of uh My experience was that, um, so currently the board of VetchFest is five heterosexual, cisgendered white women, and I felt like uh, a lot of the time our work as people of color were being undermined. So they didn't, like, and another thing that I also felt was that they didn't recognize the value in the work we were doing because it wasn't creating funding for them. Several projects we worked on at VetchFest Calgary was, for example, Menica organized a um, movie screening called Invisible Vegan, which we Uh, basically showed that to a small group of people didn't didn't, uh, quite produce a large amount of funding for organization but it did bring the community together and basically educate the uh, the public yeah
3: it did it did raise some money for veg fest but the point was point was not so much to raise money the point was to show people that veganism was more than like buying yes vegan products Mm -hmm. When we first, like we, Asana and I, along with a few other people, were founding members. So in the early days of VegFest, we did have, we kind of just all came together with a pretty, like what we felt was a unified vision of what we wanted it to be. Like we did say from the beginning that we wanted it to be pro-intersectional and not, like we wanted it obviously to be about non-human animals, but We also wanted it to be an opportunity to um, educate and connect the community to new perspectives that maybe mainstream veganism was not providing to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually written in our, is it the bylaws?
2: Yes, yes it is. It's very detailed.
3: (laughs) Yeah, like it's written in the bylaws, like that's what the vision was supposed to be. And we were all seemed to kind of be on the same page about that. Um, And there was a time where we did all kind of work together and we had a few ups and downs, but it seemed like we were at first. But there was a really interesting power dynamic where despite our conversations about Um, horizontal leadership, and, you know, equal voices, and things of that nature. Um, There was this really subtle, insidious desire to have the organization be hierarchical. And at that point, it just started to replicate, like corporate organizations, rather than like a justice organization. And that's where I think some of us started to recognize that the way that the the setup of the organization and how some of the people wanted it to be with like a very clear and distinct hierarchy, that it wasn't really compatible, like because you can't be, you can't say you're anti-hierarchy when it comes to like animals and sexism and things like that but then like replicate a hierarchy Mm -hmm. in your organization or or, like an unnecessary hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the point and where I think like where I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable, I think because of that, it gradually over time, it just sort of created an environment where like the people who were interested in justice felt uncomfortable enough to leave and then what was left was the people who were interested in enacting a vision of VegFest Calgary as apolitical focused on the production of or the consumption of vegan goods Mm -hmm. and the promotion of businesses without really discussing anti-speciesism or any other oppression. Mm
1: -hmm. Is it is it a function of like the way that veg fests kind of operate in general? Like I'm just wondering about, you know, like funding. Like you were saying that they weren't really interested in anything that wouldn't generate funding and apparently things that were more political don't generate as much funding? Or is it was it just like, you know, not great management and they could have they could have easily done both
3: well i would say there was a time when we were talking about like for example when asan and i were running the social media we did have like we did make clear statements um against all oppression like we made clear statements in support of black lives matter in support of um like pride and Mm -hmm. Um, we did other community things, not just like, for example, we um we worked with like a local summer camp for um for queer youths and connected them to a local sanctuary that they were interested in. So like we and that didn't was not like the intention was not to generate money for that. Mm-hmm. but like we did like so when when people who were interested in justice were involved in the organization, We did have stuff like that happening, but I think the primary goal of others in the organization was to generate revenue. It was just like very focused on generating revenue for the event and focusing on that. And part of that was just remaining completely um, silent on any other issue, which I mean, if you scroll through the Instagram, you can see like a clear... (laughs) break break of like when I was running it and then when it took over and just the post just became about promoting products or businesses
2: also um several events that we um we held were went from basically being accessible affordable you know for everyone into kind of being elitist and only for affluent people and and things like that so oh
0: my gosh (laughs) yeah
3: that was that was really so for example
2: like there was a there was a christmas dinner that i helped organize and we made it affordable and basically all the proceeds just went to directly to an animal sanctuary and the people like me and amenica agreed with that but the rest of the board were not really on board except for maybe ryan um but yeah so those things were eventually cut completely from the um the timeline of vetch fest so now it's currently just a festival and maybe an, like a gala at the end of the year, kind of thing.
3: Well, now the only the only things that are discussed are really to like the focus has shifted a lot to just um, a promoting local businesses, b uh, generating revenue for Vegfest, but there isn't any real interest or engagement with um, with anything else. But the gala, the Christmas thing, was like a pretty pretty funny um example because they still used the same like discourse and rhetoric as they we had in the beginning which was to make vegan like the whole point was to have a free festival to dispel the myth of veganism as inaccessible and elitist but then they to generate revenue for the event they had like a super (laughs) elitist um event where they sold tickets it was like a christmas gala and, like, tickets, I can't remember, they were, like, what was it, like, $50 or something? And yeah,
2: 50 or $60, i am not 100% sure. Oh, wow.
3: The tickets were outrageously priced, and then you went to this, like, fancy, it was, like, a fancy gala, and there was, like, a dress code. Everyone had to have had tuxes to, and dresses. Dress <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, it was just, like, the most obvious disconnection of, like, a statement and like an action I mean it just doesn't make sense to claim that you want the festival to be accessible and so in order to create that you have an inaccessible like a financially inaccessible event Mm -hmm. um and like obviously from a financial standpoint maybe it does make sense but from like the messages that are being communicated I don't know like how many people of color showed up at that event how many how many people who were marginalized at all showed up Mm -hmm. who occupy a marginalized position Mm -hmm. besides being like a white cisgender,
1: you know? Right. Yeah. I remember when you were running the, the social media, I remember you were upset because you had posted something which I thought was great, which was um, a post where somebody was holding up some balloons and it was it like, you're not an ally if your partner is homophobic or something like that um yeah yeah Yeah, so I got in trouble for
3: that (laughs) that was like a big controversy um another one that I got like a stern talking to about was um there was a Um, there was a post I made with where the image was, um, so it was a a drawing from the artist Steve Cutts, and a lot of his work is anti-capitalist and, like, a critique of our system of excessive consumption, but the picture was pretty easy to understand. Um, it was just, like, a, a pile of, like, a drawing with a pile of animals, and then at the top was this guy with a crown sitting on top and eating, like, a bucket of, of chicken or something, Mm -hmm. And I think the caption I posted on that was speciesism plus human exceptionalism equals capitalism or something like that. Something along that line. Mm -hmm. But um, the critique that I got from the board was, I don't even know what exceptionalism means. No one's going to understand that post. Mm -hmm. And it was just super infuriating to be told that our audience is like too lazy to look something like that up but also I don't know I just have the feeling that even if you don't understand those words and don't want to look them up you can still look at just the picture and understand that like there's something wrong with like the idea of humans assuming that they're at the top of a hierarchy where they can like kill these animals Mm -hmm. so like you can understand at a basic level that it how we treat non-human animals doesn't make sense. So anyway, yeah, I, there was a lot of things like that where, I mean, in the end I was just told to stop making the Instagram political.
0: Uh,
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, because, and, but like the, the thing is like when it got to that point, I was just like, I, we've been me and Asan and Ryan and like, we've been trying to explain this for, The whole time we've been on VegFest, we've been like trying to educate and explain that veganism because the other people on the board, they're getting a lot of their information from mainstream vegan sources, which kind of connects to what we talked about at the beginning with like MFA and like Live Kindly and PETA and Mm -hmm. like these mainstream vegan sources that, um, that really don't care about anything other than animal issues and their boards are mostly white people like the people who make decisions are mostly white and that's where they're getting a lot of their information about veganism i'm talking about the people on the veg fest board so of course like they haven't had a lot of exposure to other ideas and so the tendency was just to simply replicate what they were consuming Um, So it does make sense in a way, but it became problematic when we tried and tried and tried to explain and just like constantly, it was a fight to, I mean, it was a, it should not have been that much of a fight to get people to see that veganism is about things other than buying animal products. And I think when we left, especially, well, because... First, Ryan left and then Asan left and then I did. And I think when I did leave, it was like this huge sigh of relief to be like, okay, great. Now we don't have to talk about anything. We can just promote vegan products and businesses. And and that can be the approach. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I guess for people (laughs) uh, who aren't aware, so Menica was the one who invited me to speak at VegFest Calgary, which was awesome but before i actually showed up to speak um menica had dropped out <laughs> um but was like yeah. oh you should you should still definitely give your talk or whatever um and i thought i i remember being like oh like you know this is this is great like i'm so thrilled to be able to give a talk about you know anti capitalism at an event such as this right um but I guess I, I I doubt that would have happened if you weren't involved in um you know choosing the oh no
3: no no <laughs> <laughs> like when I was the speaker coordinator I was like we are getting good at people like so we had um like we had Callie and Nicole from being yeah. warrior princess attack like we had you we had don't oh know. we had Lauren people O'Nellis. who Oh yeah, Lauren Orneela's from Food Empowerment Project. Which, sorry, just like quickly off topic, we've talked a lot about organizations that aren't doing a good job with, um, in terms of like leadership and justice. But I would say Food Empowerment Project is doing a great job
0: mm-hmm.
3: of a great way to have a vegan organization. Yeah, but but anyway, yeah, it was. I like I specifically tried to choose people that would be consistent with a message of like
1: unified liberation instead of like single issue Um, there was going to be christopher sebastian but then um also when you dropped off uh they dropped off as well yeah and i was like darn it (laughs)
3: because i was so excited i know i that's how i felt too because the people who needed to hear christopher speak oh my god um,
2: I, mi- I can't believe i missed that
3: <laughs> i know
2: and even the previous year we had um like people like uh, carol adams uh as well which was very oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: jenny messina yeah um yeah so like in the past we had people that were like good at what they were doing like when i was the speaker coordinator I was given like a particular budget to work with mm-hmm. and this was like the biggest thing that pissed me off is that we had people like you like you um you have a PhD we had Camille Labchuk, who is a lawyer we had Pamela Ferguson who has a PhD in nutrition like we had people who were experts in their field who were well read and who were like highly successful in their fields
0: Mm
3: -hmm. and we and like even Lauren or and we asked each speaker what they wanted to be paid and all of those people so like you Pamela Lauren basically all of the women that we picked who past and present who were speakers for the most part what you all asked, what they all asked for was just like travel expenses and mm-hmm. um like lodging or whatever yep. and so we paid what we could for to cover like those expenses and like we only picked people who were like reasonably like within that budget then we had another speaker who i won't name their name that the rest of the board really wanted so asan i think you know who i'm talking about definitely And, like, not to say that, like, qualifications on a piece of paper are the important thing, but, like, first of all, it was extremely difficult. Like, so I didn't even, like, he wasn't really even on my radar as a speaker, just because, like, I don't know. I think, like, there was just, there was just a desire to have, like, a buff, hot, vegan guy, to prove that you could be like a buff hot guy and also be vegan Mm -hmm. like I think that was part of the rationale and so he was like chosen and so first of all it was like he was really difficult to work with he had an agent who was terrible with replying to emails like it would often be like weeks between emails And then I was trying to contact him on, like, Instagram, and, like, he was unresponsive to emails. Then he switched to another agent, and it was just, yeah, it was a lot. Um, There was, like, it was hard to, like, lock down the contract as well because things kept changing, but the biggest thing is that the fee that he wanted was absolutely astronomical. Like, it was thousands of dollars. Mm. Like, it it was beyond what made sense Mm -hmm. for the time and especially like proportional to the experience and qualifications of everybody else who deserved a lot more and so yeah he had this astronomical fee and so I just went back and I was like look there's no way it's like not within the budget and I was like I think we just say this isn't gonna work out because like a look at how hard it is to contact him and then b Like, the requests were absolutely ridiculous, like, wanting a hotel with a gym, but then also the hotel had to be near a running path. Um, They also wanted us to pay for an extra day for him to just spend in the city just to look around. Before we imposed a food budget, there was, like, an unlimited food budget that we were (laughs) expected to pay for as a grassroots organization. Yeah, Yeah, it was, like, really bizarre and... uh, and, like, I understand that, like, being a celebrity comes with, like, a certain degree of expectations, but um, it was just very unprofessional and um, the expectations didn't really make sense. So I said, it doesn't make sense to have this person. And I was shot down. They said, OK, let's just increase the budget then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Basically got outvoted. Like, me and Manika were against it, but everybody else was for it. So it went through.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, it was just like the. it made no sense. No sense whatsoever. Because I was like, where are we going to find the money for this? Like, it's, it's like over four times, like, I would say over eight times what other people got paid.
2: Wasn't the solution to just expand the budget?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The solution was like, we'll just okay, add $6, we'll ju- I was like, budget. it's not in the budget. So mm-hmm. we- <laughs> yeah, so they're like, and I was like, well, where's the money? <laughs> I was like, well, where's the money going to come from? And they're just like, oh, we'll just cut from other places. Like, it was just the management of money and how things were it was just like
1: one day the budget was this and the next day the budget was that like <laughs> i'm glad you shared that. i this i think it's just really telling um uh, about i guess again like the you know sexist politics within uh vegan movements and Definitely. within these events that happen it was yeah it was really interesting to hear that
3: yeah and like i was irritated because I mean I just felt like everyone else was just better qualified to be a speaker. Like mm. it just didn't make sense, but yeah, there was that um another thing that really irritated me was when I left I said that they could continue using the graphics that I had designed for the poster as long as I was credited. So they just used the same poster and, like, added some other text. And then, like, my name was – or, like, my company was, like, nowhere on the poster or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So Asan was like, just send them an invoice. (laughs) (laughs) So so I did. And they were like, oh, no, you were credited. But it was, like, this really obscure part of the website that no one goes to or, like, even – like, no one knew Mm -hmm. to, like, go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this poster was like plastered all around the city and I was just, yeah, I was just like a huge slap in the face that, it, and it was on the same line as a person. so uh, the other thing too, is like at that time I, I had said the previous year that I only wanted to run the Instagram. And then by the end of it, I was doing the Instagram. I was doing speaker coordinator. I was doing mini events. Yeah. Many events. Like I was doing like so many roles and there was just this thing where like, anyone else it was like oh well we don't want to stress that person out by giving them too much but like here's more stuff for you to do they felt like pretty comfortable with like giving me work another example was like with the instagram leading up to the event they had a list of posts that they wanted and like when they wanted each post and it was like pretty ridiculous like it was three posts a day or something like that and um but when I left, they did not follow their own schedule. <laughs> like, <laughs> they created the schedule they want. And it, which just goes to show that, like, what the rules and, like, expectations changed if it was, like, someone else. Like, if it was a woman of color, like me, who was going to do it, then the work was more.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And if it was someone else, then they got credit and they got less work.
0: mm mm-hmm.
2: They were kind of, like, pushing you to your capacity almost, like, let's get as much as we can from her.
3: Yeah, but, like, I remember saying at one point, like, can't so-and-so do this? And they were like, oh, we just don't want to stress her out. And I was like, okay, but, like, I'm, you don't seem concerned with stressing me out at all. Um, Yeah, and, like, just with the credit issues, like, I was credited on the same line as, the person who designed the logo who was part of Vegfest fest in a previous year mm-hmm. and had absolutely did absolutely nothing and so i i actually wrote them and i was like i just want to confirm that in your view i did the exact same amount of work as so and so who wasn't even part of Vegfest fest this year
0: mm-hmm.
3: which was like so they weren't even part they weren't even part of the organization but like i did like yeah like I said speaker coordinator running Instagram poster design Mm -hmm. mini events like Mm
0: -hmm.
3: anyway yeah it was just sorry that got like super ranty you can cut all that out
1: (laughs) (laughs) no I mean yeah I'm sorry that that was the experience that you had and um I'm sorry that all three of you. um, The third person I'm talking about is uh, Ryan, who was also going to be on this call, but couldn't make it. So hey, Ryan. (laughs) Um, But it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that all three of you felt that, um, you know, you had to drop off. And then the project that you had founded really kind of took on, um, I guess, a different energy, a different spin after you after you left.
3: Yeah, it's unfortunate that that happened. Um, Like, so yeah, just going back to like, what is the problem now, like understanding that an organization has appropriated the terminology and sort of the flavor of what a pro-intersectional organization should be, mm-hmm. um, but then, like, at its roots is not. So, like, on their website, for instance, they state that they're interested in multifaceted activism, but that's not really true. Uh, so they're they're stating one thing, but not really acting upon it. Um, in terms of, like, for instance, they've never spoken up about black people that are being killed left right and center Mm -hmm. they haven't talked about any indigenous issues in Canada um Mm -hmm. they haven't talked about the connection between COVID and um how it's going to impact marginalized communities Mm -hmm. um basically like any relevant issue that's going on right now in the world um even issues related to veganism like the unnecessary killing of animals, not even for food, Mm -hmm. um, have not been discussed or even mentioned by VegFest. And so I think it's kind of an issue now. I would say like it's it's worse of an issue when an organization claims to be interested in justice, but then is not living up to that claim Mm -hmm. because it sort of distorts the idea of what it means to be pro-intersectional and an ally, right? Because it sets up this perception that it's possible to never speak about these issues and just make the statement one time, but never actively do anything um, and still call yourself an ally or still call yourself whatever term you want to use, like pro-intersectional or multi-faceted activism mm-hmm. so it, it's it's almost more dangerous because it kind of sets up the perception that you can just say that you are
1: but not actually do anything mm-hmm. yeah especially in like not having any people
2: of color on the board or anyone marginalized mm-hmm. for that yeah that's another yeah. problem
3: yeah like no marginalized identities whatsoever
2: mm-hmm.
3: in in decision making um roles right like cuz they'll they'll accept work from marginalized people to be volunteers mm-hmm. so they'll they'll extract the labor from those people but won't actually give them any sort of decision making capabilities
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think that if you're only going to focus on revenue generation then yeah you're going to make sure that you know, the Instagram isn't too political to scare people away because they might not want to consume if they're offended politically. And you're, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to actually go out and make the time to engage the community and, Mm -hmm. um, connect different marginalized groups together with, um, you know, sanctuaries as you were doing or other kind of anti-speciesist activism or things like that, because it's just not really, you know, it's not going to make you profit. Totally. I wonder if it's like, do you think this is a challenge that we'll always face? Uh, you know, if we're if we're trying to get more reach, um, I'm just wondering, kind of like, you know, where where do we go from here? Knowing that this has been such a challenge, and when I think about, you know, like Veg Fest Toronto, yeah, it's not political at all. <laughs> There's nothing political about it. It's just about buying the products, and they have speakers, but I haven't seen anyone that's been political is just about health
3: yeah wasn't there a controversy about vegan games being kicked out yep. of toronto yep. and like, <laughs> like that was a whole yeah. thing.
1: i was so surprised to hear that he had even been invited um and then poor darren uh <laughs> i know vegan like made yes. an entire video about darren um that was rough that was rough, yeah, but I mean, who in the hell invited him to speak like what in yeah. the, what the hell is that that was so weird, um, yeah, I mean, huge <laughs> fuck up on you know it's just um, I feel like if you're hosting an event like that, that's really centered around just wanting people to s- see local business and try that out, then you don't really want to have speakers that are too political. Yeah. I mean, I was thrilled to be speaking at VegFest and I, there is a really good turnout for my talk and Lauren O'Neill's talks. And Lauren Ornelis's talk, and um, we both were critiquing capitalism (laughs) and other things. And I was like, "This is pretty dope." That was the best part. I think that's pretty rare at (laughs) at kind of mainstream. (laughs) Honestly,
3: the speakers that year were so good, and like, I even loved the response from like you, Pamela, and Camille all, and Lauren. You all had like such great answers about. I think one of the audience questions had something to do with like indigenous issues mm-hmm. and veganism and like you all kind of said like in Canada we have a pretty long list of things that we need to address before we start like harassing people in marginalized communities to go vegan like for instance access to clean water access to healthcare, access to education mm-hmm. and I was like pretty surprised that I don't know you wouldn't really get that answer from someone else like I think mm-hmm someone less attuned to those issues would have just been like, it's easy for everyone to be
1: vegan. Yeah. yeah or it's appropriate for like settlers to tell indigenous nations how to live their lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was really, really awesome. But um, that's obviously not, not the norm. So I guess like as pro intersectional activists, you know, do we focus on smaller events that are just very political, but don't kind of give up on this idea of having broader reach. Like, do we still work within these broader, I mean, could we, could we envision, I guess, like uh, let's say in Toronto or Ottawa or whatever, um, creating like a pro intersectional veg fest that also did outreach and being able to actually fund that.
2: <laughs> I think the key is, I think the key is patience here. Cause we were fairly successful. It was just, we, it was just very slow breaking those barriers and reaching the audience um mm-hmm, I yes. think like we just need a good balance and not to lay it on super thick when we're you know we just need to give the audience small doses of what they need to hear and and i think I think we can be successful mm-hmm. over a long term. It just takes longer to get there,
3: yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that, and I think like. The way we were doing it for a while there seemed pretty good. Like,
2: what was the turnout of the first year? It was, I think, eight thousand people is what we got, and that's with, yeah, Yeah. that's with kind of a political message, and you know, in small doses again, but Mm -hmm. we didn't want to overwhelm.
3: Like even the second year too, the second year, because like when when you you were there for like a lot of it, except for like maybe the last few months is when you quit. Like there were times when like our Instagram was sort of like blowing up with comments because we posted Oh my god! Political. Was it ever?
2: <laughs> and even even the Facebook uh, channel that I was running was just some of it was just going crazy. Like I think there was one post where we had over two hundred comments that we had to individually like address. Oh my
3: god! Yeah. Yeah, like the the oil. I'm like afraid to even say it. The oil one. In oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny because we, like we posted a thing in solidarity with indigenous groups who were post protesting the pipeline mm-hmm. and and like honestly like veg fest winnipeg posted the a very very similar thing in again in solidarity with indigenous nations and then when we posted that in alberta it was like it was like we post all were got sharing. hijacked by non-vegans
2: and all sorts of things and yeah it <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, it was, but I think, like, I think that's the kind of thing that's, like, important to have those kinds of discussions. And I, oh, we also got a lot of people saying, VegFest, do not talk about this, like, this is bad for you, like, only talk about veganism, like, that was another yeah. genre of comments that we were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, on top of that, we got support, though. We got a lot of support from pro-intersectional vegan activists who were really who really recognized how difficult it is to be an organization, but also talk about issues that are difficult to address with particular audiences. Mm. Um, So we got a lot of support from the right people, people who are also interested in plural justice. Um, so I think that is good mm-hmm. but I mean if your goal is to well here's the here's the thing like if your goal is to just like grow your Instagram as quickly as possible and have a large turnout and generate revenue then yeah like the strategy of being political may be good um, but then then don't claim to be interested in that stuff like don't claim that you're intersectional mm-hmm. right like I think my problem is like the hijacking of of terms and of ideas
1: um,
2: mm. without acting
1: upon them. Yeah,
2: I agree with that 100%. And I think that uh,
1: that will happen kind of more and more if it's seen to be advantageous to use that term to, you know, position yourself as some organization that is progressive in order to increase, you know, your popularity and potentially your <laughs> revenue. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, that's that's what I mean, though, too, is like not and I were talking about how uh, Mercy for Animals recently started talking more about environmental racism and things like that, but they were just they they weren't offering anything new. They were essentially recycling information that had already been discussed by Food Empowerment Project and a few other mm-hmm. places. So yeah, it just seemed bizarre. And then what was it too that they did for um, Black History Month?
2: I can't recall exactly what they did, but it seemed like performative allyship. That's all it was. Okay. From what I remember.
3: Yeah, like, fundamentally, they're not doing anything to, like, build bridges with marginalized communities. Like, they'll post an article here and there, but they won't really, mm-hmm. yeah, they won't really do any real work. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, where to go, was that part of your question yet? Yeah, yeah, I,
1: like, where do we go from here as people who do care about justice and, like real anti-speciesist action (laughs) Um, but like navigating within the mainstream
3: okay so um, I wrote down a few ideas but like one of them is that first of all you don't need to be part of a big organization to be an activist Um, like you can continue doing activism in whatever way feels right to you without being like beholden to the expectations and the conventions of what mainstream vegan spaces and organizations want, um, and like that's something that I sort of learned for myself when I started doing art just for myself. Mm-hmm. Is like I could post whatever I wanted and make it as political as I wanted, mm-hmm. and the space that I created is growing, sm- like very slowly.
1: But yeah, it's awesome. By the way, shout it out! It's Nooch Design Co. on Instagram. Oh,
3: thank you. <laughs> yeah thank you yeah yeah it's like still pretty small but like I would rather have that than um like to be told what to do Mm -hmm. um and to be like censored in a way that doesn't make sense with my politics um so yeah you couldn't I guess my point is like you can like stand like you can stand on a corner and do leafleting by yourself if you want to like you can I don't know, you can, like, walk around with a sign if you want. Like, you don't need a huge group to be, necessarily, to be effective. Mm -hmm. But you can also start organizing with people of color. Like, actively seek out, don't specifically, like, seek out people of color if you're not one yourself and, like, (laughs) tokenize Like, Like, yeah, don't do that. But, like, um, I don't know, just, like, look for opportunities to support people of color, um, especially Black and Indigenous folks um disabled and queer and other marginalized people um seek out their voices and like really uplift them so like it, that doesn't mean that you have to go to like every protest for every single issue but like it doesn't really take that much effort like if you're already on social media like you could follow someone you could share their work you could share a post about them um you can share a video explaining something um, you can also like it's important to like actively unlearn everything that we've been sort of taught about what veganism means and what anti speciesism means and what vegan activism looks like because the prominent examples that we're getting as we've discussed, are not the greatest examples, so like find find resources of people like like mexi, your channel and um bitchy shit show how do they say bitchy shit show (laughs) bitchy shit show Um, there's and niche design co yeah and like there's just so many um a privileged vegan marine um bearded vegans is pretty good like there's so anyways there's so many and like once you find like one or two it will lead you to so many other ones but just look for um opportunities to listen to people Um, like, Christopher Sebastian has, and Lauren Mm Orneela's, like, they have videos on YouTube of their talks, and you can just listen to those talks for free on YouTube, and, like, take notes and listen to them again, and look at what they've written, Mm -hmm. and just try to, like, learn more from people who are like that. Yeah, just, like, uplift those voices, Mm -hmm. um, support organizations
0: that are like that,
3: yeah, if you're, I was going to say too, like, if you're contributing to someone's GoFundMe, like Earthling Ed or Joey Carbstrong or, like, any of those people, but you're not contributing to Christopher Sebastian, or not GoFundMe, I mean Patreon. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you're, like, Christopher Sebastian has a Patreon and, like, isn't getting nearly as much support, mm-hmm. but um,
1: has, like, way better oh, work. Yeah.
2: Or someone like Brenda Sanders with The Greener Kitchen.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, there's a, there's a ton of great grassroots efforts. Like there's a lot of people in Toronto who are, who are doing a lot of great, like anti-speciesist organizing. So I don't know, it might be like harder to find than the mainstream movements, but, um, yeah, if you kind of do a little digging where you are, I'm sure there's, um, there are people where you are that are engaged in that work and to, yeah, maybe try collaborating with them as opposed to just going for the mainstream events or organizations, If you are, like, organizing an event and you want to be pro-intersectional, then you should absolutely – like, the board should be – should reflect that. (laughs) Like, the decision-making structures should reflect that. And, yeah, I mean, if – like, if and when at all possible um, to make things more about outreach and activism and connecting different struggles – Um, As opposed to just like a festival for consumption, which is like fun, you know, that's always fun to do. But yeah, Yeah. I think obviously we can we can do better. I think there is also value, you know, because I was kind of like, well, do we just kind of abandon these bigger organizations? And I think for some of them, you know, yes. But I know that um, Nicole and Callie talk about um, what is it? Is it the big AR conference that, you know,
3: has
1: has been not great for a long time in terms of uh, like justice, but recently has been, you know, slowly getting better due to kind of the tireless efforts of some people to steer it in a different direction. And I don't think we're ever going to you know, make this stuff mainstream, obviously, especially the anti-capitalist bit is not going to get mainstream within a capitalist system, especially if it's, you know, an event that's meant Mm -hmm. to generate revenue. But um, I do think you're right, that there is value in still putting out these messages, even if it's just, how did you describe it? Just like a a tidbit, (laughs) a tidbit here and there, even if we're just, you know, feeding people messages uh, that they need to hear, but it's, It's not maybe, like, as political as we might hope it to be.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think our point is, like, you don't have to talk about this stuff all the time if you're a vegan festival. Mm -hmm. Like, just, like, post something in support of, you know, Black people who've died. Mm -hmm. Or, like, post something about, I don't know. I just, I think it would be nice to, like, see that an organization is on the same side regarding issues beyond veganism. Yeah
1: yeah right
0: like,
1: yeah
2: because i mean how absolutely. else do you get marginalized communities to join your community and to help your community grow unless you are doing all those things right
1: yeah absolutely yeah. so hey everyone we are just splicing in this additional section Menica and i because we recorded this podcast initially before some I guess, new turn of events happened uh, on the VegFest Calgary Instagram account. And they recently posted a number of apologies to the community and one apology specifically to past members of the board who were silenced, um, particularly members of the board who were people of color. And so, yeah, we're just jumping on to kind of address this. So, um, Manika, how how do you feel about um, these posts, I guess, that we've been seeing recently?
3: Okay, so the first sort of set of posts that they did were kind of just riding the social media trend, which was an influx of individuals and corporations showing their support and solidarity for the growing activism movement around Black Lives Matter that has had a resurgence recently, especially on social media. I guess I'm a little bit, I started off being a little bit skeptical and I still am just because me and Esan had been saying, and Ryan also had been saying a lot of this stuff for years and not being listened to. But then as soon as it became popular on social media, like that's when they decided that it was necessary to start posting on things and like start being mm-hmm. like quote unquote political. Mm-hmm. So the timing was a little bit strange, but um, I mean, I think it's, it's hopeful that maybe they're trying, but um So, yeah, I guess we can go back and, like, analyze the order of how this happened because Mm -hmm. the first sort of thing that caught my attention was, yeah, they were, like, they were doing some reposts of things related to racism. And then they posted a black square with this really long apology to the community for not being political enough. Mm -hmm. And it just, that felt really hollow and scripted just because... I mean, it just seemed like a really good PR move on their part.
1: Yeah, it's hard not to be cynical about, like, when this stuff comes out, you know?
3: Yeah, like, the timing was very, I guess, suspicious. um, Because everything at that point was trending on social media, so Mm. it was to their advantage from, like, an engagement standpoint to start posting about the same things everyone else was posting about and we also like saw a lot of big um corporations like nike and hershey's and just like a bunch Mm -hmm. of corporations that are like pretty infamous for having terrible working conditions for people especially people for color and being really exploitative Mm
0: -hmm. doing
3: this and so it kind of diluted the message um because Mm -hmm. for a lot in a lot of cases it wasn't anything original that was being shared. And also, uh, there was no real commitment to change any of the internal structures. It was just this like
1: public declaration of support, which like you kind of had to do, otherwise you'd be politically untouchable.
3: Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And so, yeah. And so like, I think, I think there's a lot of skepticism for me also around like, only being okay with taking a stand for something when it is publicly safe to do so and when you are when you can be confident that the public will like the majority of them will support you like
0: Mm -hmm.
3: back before this was a huge social media hashtag um like where was all the support there were lots of
1: yeah I'm looking at the post now and it's like teas and foods and businesses <laughs> and things like that prior to that there was a huge emphasis on
3: like vegan consumerism without really anything else
1: and that in you know, like you know Amad Arbery and Brianna Taylor happened before this and there was nothing and then this media frenzy happened and then yeah right?
3: and and the funny thing is too like when I when I was on the board um, I actually posted a poem, and I wonder if I can find it. It was a poem on Eric Gardner.
1: Was it on the Instagram?
3: Yeah, if you scroll all the way down to, like, the, where the feed was still, like, yeah, uh, white and green. It was, it was a long time ago. Yeah. But anyway, I just remember very clearly, like, posting this post, and it was just a poem, and like, you could very easily just have Googled the poem, and, like, if you didn't know anything about him, you could, like, figure it out, Mm -hmm. but, um, I was told by a couple board members that they didn't understand the post, and they didn't believe anyone else would either, Mm -hmm. and I was just, but, like, it was just very clear because it, people were liking the post like people did get it mm-hmm. it was like the people who got it got it but it's just it's just bizarre that to be so uh disconnected um only a few months ago and then to suddenly be very interested in all of this stuff
1: yeah I'm looking at the old Instagram posts where you used to be running it and these posts are fire also the whole theme of it looks really really great I actually looked up the post that you were talking about before where there's this person, this man sitting on top of all these dead animal bodies and it's human except- exceptionalism plus capitalism. It's awesome. It's just awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I completely understand your your skepticism.
3: And also try to post things from a variety like like there were a few like body positive posts as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's a whole Black History Month section with like different portraits yeah
3: I'm trying to find the specific one. Oh, here it is oh yeah a, a small needful fact and then yeah and then just like listing all the like a few black people who were murdered with no convictions
0: mm-hmm.
3: and like I feel like yeah like how could you not understand that but anyway, right yeah yeah, because it was like Trayvon Martin, no conviction, Sandra Bland, no conviction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like going on and on. Yeah. So, yeah, and that was back in, when was this? August of 2018. Yeah, I mean, it it's interesting that they're kind of jumping on this bandwagon now. Um, and everything seems to be a response to something else like there isn't a lot of like self-study and responding um to what has been learned it's more things that are happening out in the public or on the internet and then responding to that so I'm also a little skeptical because of the way that it's being approached um so just going back to that post on the public apology to the community for not being uh, political enough, mm-hmm. um, the biggest thing that stood out to me is, well, okay, you're apologizing to the community, but what will you do internally with your structure? Like, everyone on the board is a white, um, thin, conventionally attractive, able-bodied, cisgender woman, so like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're. That that was a bit strange. And, and then also, like, yeah, I mean, I, I never really expected an apology, but to publicly apologize to the public and then just completely forget about, like, me, Ryan, and Asan who had been, like, saying this kind of stuff all along mm-hmm. seemed kind of superficial. And then so, yeah, I responded to it on my Instagram, and I specifically pulled the quotes that i thought were especially problematic and Mm -hmm. also called them out on the apology thing and then in response to that they decided (laughs) to apologize other people also uh were going on their instagram and bringing up the point that they didn't apologize to any of the board members former board Mm -hmm. members Mm
2: -hmm.
3: so then they did apologize but only because they were publicly called out and it w- the hypocrisy was pointed out publicly and so then they did apologize but only to me well if one okay, one person apologized to me mm-hmm. uh and then another person did but said exactly the same thing as the previous person so, mm-hmm. so that was a bit strange but then I had to encourage them to apologize to the other board members like there wasn't a lot of like thinking about okay well if one person's upset maybe we should check in and see how the other former board members feel Mm -hmm. um so it was just a lot of hand-holding and like okay well now you should apologize to them Mm
0: -hmm. so
3: yeah just the fact that everything is a response to being called out rather than a genuine desire to make internal changes to address the Mm -hmm. systemic racism that is being replicated, um, in Mm -hmm. the organization. Mm -hmm. Another example is actually changing the board. So they were called out on the board being all white by a few people on social media. Mm -hmm. And then they announced that they would be adding some new board members. Um, but it was just very vague like there wasn't a lot of like like yeah. what will you do to ensure that those people have a voice who are you going to choose how will you choose so mm-hmm. i mean those questions remain unanswered and um i guess the other thing that that i found was a bit strange is uh there was a statement somewhere in one of their um posts about how they would hold one another accountable and so it was just like does it make sense to like have someone who there's literally no diversity in terms of experience like Mm
0: -hmm.
3: like you're all looking at it from the same like I said the same like white cisgender lens Mm -hmm. so to monitor yourselves and hold one another accountable is not really
1: how are you going to know what to hold each other accountable?
3: <laughs> yeah. You're all kind of like missing the same perspectives.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I read, so Isan um, commented on that post that where they apologized to the board members and just talked about how, there's yeah there's an overrepresentation of white able-bodied cisgendered heterosexual women and um we need to make sure that there are board members who are part of like different kinds of marginalized groups not just um not just racialized minorities and also said that we need more clarification on the distribution of power within the organization right so like how is decision making going to gonna happen um he brought up that you know it started as a horizontal leadership model and it moved towards a hierarchical one and then their response was um
3: it was just like thank you for sharing these thoughts it was just very vague
1: yeah well it was like yeah we haven't addressed decision making processes on the board and we need to definitely work on that so we'll discuss that at our next meeting so they haven't really thought about like changing you know the structure of the organization at all, the like decision making structure. So yeah, and it's you know how are they going to make that decision without kind of being guided by people in marginalized communities?
3: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, at this point, we'll see. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I do hope it would be great to see a, an organization like this doing things in a way that makes sense that is pro-intersectional and Mm -hmm. um you know that is being attentive to all of these different um ideas that we talked about um Mm -hmm. but I'm still skeptical so I the only thing to say now is we'll see like we'll see what happens and yeah I don't really know how it's gonna go I think I think they'll have a hard time for sure either way like whatever they do just because it's pretty out in the open now how hostile it was for me and Asan, and Mm -hmm. so to be a person of color coming in knowing how other people of color in the past
1: were treated that's not really the greatest track record so and it's unfortunate because like you and Ahsan and Ryan would have been a wealth of knowledge of like you know, how to go forward and provided like really amazing leadership that just wasn't followed. So it's like, it's just a really big missed opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: So yeah, we'll see. Um Hopefully they continue to examine their internal structure and make changes.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing all of this. And um yeah, just hopefully... Hopefully things improve. <laughs> I, do, I do hope things improve. Like I said, I'm skeptical, but I also do
3: hope
0: that they do. So we'll yeah, see for sure.
1: Um, yeah. So I guess that's kind of all I had. Is there anything else that you, either of you wanted to add?
2: I think I'm good.
1: <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this discussion. This was really, really great. Um, before we go, would you like to shout out where people can find you and your work?
3: Yeah, so we mentioned it before, but my art page on Instagram is at Nooch Design Co. and I don't have
1: Facebook. Lucky you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah, just because a lot of people are like, well, I have the Instagram, but what's the Facebook? Yeah. And I'm like, sorry, it doesn't exist. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs>
2: I'm personally currently taking a break from doing activism uh, and volunteering, but I would like to get back into it at some point in the future. And I guess I'm all I have available to people right now is just my personal Instagram, which is asan.k.o at uh, Instagram.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll link those in the show notes. Um, I also wanted to shout out a few other Instagram pages um Let Fish Live and uh, Anti-Speciesist Action, which I'll put there as well. Um, and also I Love's Life. Um, these are just some uh I guess accounts I love that, that account. I think Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, there's just some good accounts. So um definitely check them out. Um if you're looking to get more into kind of the more kind of anti-speciesist activism versus just the vegan consumption activism. And yeah, that's, that's that's all. Just thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Alexis. It.
2: It's been a pleasure. And this is a very important topic that I think should be discussed a lot more in the future. Cheers.